Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are actually server serverless cast on this one. We're actually coming to you live from the Zach Theater here in Austin, Texas. We're actually up on the rooftop, um, so we're going to get may get a little bit of background noise, but uh, we're here on day one of serverless conf uh, here in Austin. Uh, got Chris and Yohai from the Microsoft. Uh, functions team, Microsoft Azure functions team. You guys did a very, very cool, uh, long keynote this morning that was a bunch of demos, um, a bunch of really interesting stuff. Uh, welcome to the show. Um, introduce yourself and give folks a sense of what uh, what your focus is over in the Azure team. Great. Yeah. So um, I'm Chris Anderson. I'm one of the PMs that work on the Azure functions team. I, uh, I guess I mainly focus on like the core um, engine of how functions work, how the triggers go, the languages space, really if how it's going to be working when you're running at kind of like scale and, and, and what the actual runtime behaves like. Cool. Cool. And uh, my name is Yohai Kuriadi. I'm uh, also a program man- manager on the Azure team, Azure App Service, which is basically um, the kind of the host for the Azure functions. And yeah, I do a bunch of stuff. He's the boss. No, uh, not really. Yeah. <laughs> so... So Aaron and I last week or the week before we we sort of you had a chance to go up to uh, to Seattle or to Redmond yes, to sir. hang out you yep. hung, you hung out with these guys. Yep. Um, today was uh, you know we talked about it a little bit on the show before, but today was really seeing it in action, uh, and it was very cool. You guys broke it down into into a few different parts. There was uh, let me show you functions, which which John uh, sort of introduced the basics of functions, and then what I thought was was kind of the the thing that pushed it over the edge for me was was all of the, the connections that, that are in place which to me the, the like we come we get a chance to come to a lot of technical events uh it's always a lot of blah blah technologies blah blah protocols blah blah let me show you some code and and this was to me it like it, it clicked where i went like if i have a business idea i can go i want that thing I, I want this thing to happen and then i want it to talk to salesforce and pull some sales data and i want it to go out to adobe and kick off a marketing campaign and maybe send a tweet um Talk about just that, con- you know, the technology that's behind that, and then conceptually, like, how do you guys connect the, the technology and that business thinking to, to put it in front of people? We're doing our job, apparently. Uh, apparently that's exactly yes. uh, what that, uh, the message did, was. Did you, like, yeah. get bri- <laughs> that's exactly I, it wasn't a briefing. It was just a, yeah, that, yeah. that made sense to me. That, that, that's so, exactly what we wanted to have, right. I guess, heard. So, so, the, yeah, that, so that just starts with a story. Um, I guess you were referring to the uh, the thing that you see with specifically with the logic app right, logic applications app. with the different connectors and on the functions we got bindings basically. Uh, so logic app, as its name, it's a um, orchest- you know serverless workflow orchestration. But the nice thing about it, it can do a lot more than just orchestrating functions. It has all these connectors, so the 120 plus connectors, and it's growing by the day. Um, that basically allow you to pull in data and services from from anywhere, pull in and pull out and push data to them. For like you mentioned, Salesforce, what is like Twilio, SendGrid, bunch of CRMs, Box. I don't know. The, the list is really really long, and and it's the nice thing about it is like it's very easy, very easy to use and extendable. And um, yeah, and if I could say too, like one big thing is. It's not just Microsoft services. Like yes. it's it sounds um, great in that uh, for for me it was all about like a very extensive ecosystem. Yeah, I mean it's pretty amazing, and and it seems like the list just keeps getting 
bigger and bigger. Basically, anything that exposes an API with a swagger, you can actually attach a connector to it. And if you are a vendor out there who wants to do that, then there is a way for you to submit connectors uh, to the Azure Marketplace. Now, you, Chris, you showed a bunch of the developer experience. A lot of it was in, was in Visual Studio. How much uh, of, of the sort of Azure Functions experience do I need Visual Studio to use? And how much of it just becomes like enhanced when I'm using Visual Studio? So for our Azure Functions tooling we have right now, we've got direct integration with Visual Studio to go ahead and set up debugging for .NET applications. For .NET um, you know, applications, we think that Visual Studio really is the industry standard. There isn't a, a whole lot to improve upon there, so that's what we've spent a lot of our time focusing on. Uh, for the Node.js experience, though, we, we have direct integration with VS Code. We're basically just setting up the launch.json file for it to attach to Node. But it works like any Node debugger. I can go ahead and hook up like normal Node debugger that would work inside of my, my Chrome browser, and it would also work with functions. We generally just show VS Code, because VS Code is kind of becoming you know, more and more of a standard for Node.js developers who want you know, the richest tooling they can for developing their applications. And one of the things that, that sort of, it was, I don't know if it was planned this way, just in the way that the keynotes were kicked off this morning, but like, um, you know, Austin Collins from Serverless Framework got up. Uh, it was either him or, or Mike were saying, look, here's, here's where serverless is sort of going in general. Here's the problems people have. And the problems were, kind of a lot of them were operationally. So it was, how do I debug stuff? How do I monitor it? How do I log things? And then you guys came on stage coincidentally afterwards and you said, let me show you how to debug, monitor, you know, put stop points in there. I mean, how, how much, like, what's the, what's the reason that you guys are so focused on that and others are, are not? Is it just Microsoft's sort of background in the problems that developers have? Or, or do you guys hear that from your customers more, more so? My, my Microsoft is... is by definition, a developer-oriented company, right? Like with the history of the company is focused and grounded in developers. There is a there is a certain uh, ex-executive who is uh, famous about his developers' quotes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So basically, I mean, it's it's started there, and it's very important for specifically for our team, but also the sister teams overall in Azure is that the developer experience, ability to get started really quick, really fast, and accomplish things quickly and easily are are, are key fundamental and. I mean, Chris can talk about it, but the, all the work that is now is being integrated with up, up in Application Insight, which is a different service, yep. but we just integrated nicely into Azure. So the integration is nice and help, but it's built, basically built on top of someone else's work or service, and, and we're looking to do more of that. I think another um, point to point out here is that we kind of have an advantage that we've actually been doing some of these things for a fairly long time. The functions technology is built on top of Azure Web Jobs and Azure uh, App Service, Web Apps. Okay. And you know, Web Apps have had the integrated kind of continuous integration stuff working for years. And Web Jobs, we've had a lot of time to get customer feedback on how the programming model should work. And really, we built functions because when we were looking at Web Jobs, we identified three big problems. People had a hard time figuring out how to deploy it properly, how to scale it, and how to monitor it. And with functions, we saw a great opportunity to take that same awesome programming model and help to solve some of those problems in a kind of very direct, easy-to-use way. Yeah. Right. It helps that um, the Azure Web Job uh, SDK is a you know it's a deployable. You can still run it and de- run download and deploy it right uh, manually onto App Service, and it has over one one point four million downloads yeah. now. Yeah. So. Um, 
uh, you were you, you guys are product managers. You're in the you're in the functions area, and then we, we see this huge list of, of connectors, which is you know it's like Aaron said, some of it are external services, some of it's like a, a you know like a, a vision API. How do I recognize you know machine learning stuff? How mu- how much are you guys sort of running around to all the other services in Azure and saying you know make sure that you're reachable and and part of that, or is there is there a kind of a general overall uh, kind of an architecture mindset that's going on in Azure that says functions need to be a first-class citizen and, and they need to reach everybody else in, in a simplified way. Like, uh, I mean, is that a conscious thing that happens or is that just sort of naturally evolving across Azure services or? Yeah, so I would, yeah, it's it's both a little bit of both, right? It's obviously developed over time yeah. uh, and different services, different values in, in, in service and how the integration points works. Um, so, that happens and evolves over time. There's work that we're doing on the function team for the uh, binding concept on the function, which are similar to the connectors on the Logic App. The Logic App team is building a lot of connectors on their own, but they are bringing other uh, internal and external cost, uh, partners, basically, to build more and more of those experiences. One, one thing that we, I, I, would, I would point out is that we're really, really customer-focused, especially inside of the cloud and enterprise team at Microsoft. Like, we drive each and every feature off of this customer wanted it, and here's what they really wanted, and this is what fixed it. And as we find more customers doing serverless on Azure, they'll, you know, help drive the demand for us to go and build more and more connections. So, really, these teams are prioritizing things based off of what their current users are doing. And as functions, you know, the craze of serverless spreads, we'll see that keep on going. And, and what, do you, what would you say are some of those primary use cases that are driving a lot of this? Like, you know, we, we had a running joke um, before we hit record of like, okay, that's great. Don't talk about chatbots. Um, but, <laughs> but, but what are some of the other kind of like industrial or IoT or some of these other things that, that customers are out there actually doing and building right now? I mean, like, I would say um, like, IoT is definitely the one that we're most excited about in terms of the use cases. Uh, some of the big problems that faced large-scale IoT things was operationalizing the compute aspects of actually processing the stream. Right? It was easy enough to go ahead and get you know Kafka or some other similar thing up there and, and streaming data through there. Uh, there was potentially some analytic services you could attach to it and write some SQL-like stuff against it. But if you wanted to run compute against it, dealing with that scale, managing the compute at scale, hard problem. Serverless just kind of comes out of nowhere. And for someone who can write a few lines of JavaScript, I now have a functional IoT pipeline handling billions of events a day, right? There wasn't anything like that before. And that's that's really transformational for IoT, I think. Um, and so I think IoT is one of the places I'm most excited about as far as what serverless is doing to it. And, and how, do, how do people think about IoT? So IoT has this, you know, so I have a device somewhere like on a lamppost or a, you know, on a tractor or whatever it is. Um, th- that thing has a trade-off, right? It can... It can process collect data and process it locally and then maybe send you something or it could you know do very little on the edge and then send you lots of data and you pro- and, you, and you get the trade-offs of like latency versus you know bandwidth versus yep. you know scale of the cloud like how as you talk to people how are they thinking about those trade-offs it really depends on the scenario right i don't think there is a one-size-fits-all thing that's the reason we see a lot of like uh, noise and buzz around the iot edge type scenarios in the first place is that this is a necessary tool for a lot of different iot developers toolbox certain data streams i'm going to want to have always sent full bandwidth up to the cloud it's very important that i have heavy cloud processing for that stream and sometimes looking for a very simple flag in a message i honestly don't need to have every single one of those things you know sent up to the cloud i can process that locally and then just aggregate you know how many flags I saw over a certain period of time as the message I send up. That leads to cost savings. That's worth the additional, you know, potential dev investment of having it work on the edge. Um, 
And sometimes your requirements require that you just lower your bandwidth, so you have to get creative with what you're doing there on the edge. A very a common pattern is that you find a lot of IoT devices doing uh, compression and then pushing it out, and the first thing you do on the cloud is basically uh, uncompress it. Yeah. Well, uh, let me ask you guys one, one sort of last question, and <coughs> thanks for all the insight. Um, this, this show is you know, mostly focused on kind of developer experience. You go to other events and it's a lot of open source or there's, you know, like what is the open source story around around Azure Functions? I know we were talking a little bit before, but give folks a sense of how much of it, are there open source things that can be, you know, looked at and manipulated and how much of it's, you know, tied into the, the Azure cloud service? So I would say that maybe when, uh, like it is very Azure focused, like yeah. Azure Web Jobs, which is what it's based off of, was very Azure focused, but the model and the framework itself doesn't actually necessarily need to be. So we are going through some steps right now to go and try to make sure the dependencies are as clean as they can be. So what needs to depend on Azure depends on Azure. What doesn't need to, we make sure there's an abstraction so we can go ahead and potentially run elsewhere. Um, you know, being open source has been a big deal for us because it's helped us communicate with our customers. So as we're looking at new scenarios, I said we're intensely customer driven and just being able to be open source and have not just like the PM conversations happen with customers, but each and every one of our developers talks with customers on a daily basis through GitHub issues and Stack Overflow posts. And we see a lot of features driven entirely end to end by our developer team. I mean, they do a lot of my work for me where they, they look and see a common issue with a user, they come up with a solution, everyone agrees on it, and we move forward. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that's where open source has been the most useful for us. But I think we will see maybe some more use in the open source space in terms of just collaboration around various, you know, compute types. I, I thought about one last thing. Hope, hope this is okay. Um, in, in some of the, the betas that have been out for Azure Stack, the, the on-prem thing, uh, Functions is starting to, to creep in there a little bit. Is the idea yeah. that it'll be the same or similar implementation? I mean, if you're writing a function for Azure in the cloud, it'll, it should, in theory, work on, on Azure Stack? Yeah, so so it's pretty much there. It's not even creeping up anymore. Okay, <laughs> it's, a, it's a full blown, it's a full flag, full fledged service. So yeah, uh, Azure Stack now supports uh, Azure Functions, and basically the same functions you work for the cloud should work on the on, on Azure Stack, assuming all the bindings are there. And the nice thing that the bindings give you is this abstraction between your data sources into the actual implementation. So if it's a connection string and we know how to work with the data, then your function will just work there. So yeah, it's pretty it's pretty uh, awesome to think about that you can actually separate those and create a single function that can actually run across and, and, different and, clouds. And we try to invest a lot in our developer experience of making it easy to yep. set up different environments. Like we have very very heavy use of environment variables and a lot of our code in various connections. So if you, I, I had a demo that I did today at the serverless conf called Coder Cards. You can find it on GitHub under my um, name, and you can see I'll basically label everything there that might be an external connection with an environment variable where I can swap out the connection to a different storage account at a whim, and I can deploy new stages left. Right. Cool. Um, so I'm going to actually, we keep saying one more, <laughs> but I'm going to throw another one in there. Uh, that you, you made me think about that when, when we're talking about the, the Azure stack. So I was just in Paul Johnson's talk, and one of his big things was, um, the, and he went through all the different CTO things that they consider, but one was vendor lock-in, and he's like, yes, the code runs anywhere, and that's fine. It doesn't matter. The code will run anywhere. Code is code. But at the end of the day, pick the ecosystem that supports the development experience and and go with that. And that kind of goes back to what you were doing in, in your demo today, Chris, of you went really, really deep into, you actually showed the servers yeah. behind the serverless and the monitoring and triggers. And so, so um, was that something that was very conscious from the start that everyone kind of realized, hey, as serverless and functions are developing and trigger-based computing and all these other things, 
is that something that everyone was like, hey, that's something I really have to nail day one? You know, I think it was a much more organic process. Okay. We didn't we didn't start this thing with a grand vision. Like, like even when we started the functions process in the first place, we didn't think serverless would be as big as it was. Looking back, it was obvious. Like, it's it's basically kind of doing all the things that you know the, the first versions of PaaS kind of failed to achieve in their first versions. Um, so when we, now it seems obvious. Like, it's a function. Every you know application you've ever written can probably be decomposed into basically just functions and potentially some loops to call them over and over again. Um, I think it really is just the base unit of you know computing, not just cloud computing going forward. And, Very cool. Well, go ahead. Yeah, and the, and the to that extent, the ecosystem is the actual important thing because your ecosystem goes way beyond compute, and it's not just the development experience around compute. It's everything you need to do to run an application, functions. You know, lambdas are one component out of many, and you better have a really good story and integration tight across all the services in terms of provisioning management, monitoring across yeah. all the services. That's the important aspect of how you can actually keep on top of things. I, I always do kind of like smile when I hear a vendor lock in with like the functions yeah. pieces because you're it's so quick to write the code that if you ever needed to write it for a different vendor, the code would be the least of your problems. It would be the data and the other services going the, yeah, on there. Yeah, data, data is the biggest. So, I mean, I mean, if you're talking about vendor lock-in, if you want to yeah. avoid that with your compute stack, serverless is the way to go, even if you are using a vendor-specific serverless piece. It's, yeah. it's the data stuff. That's, that's hard. Yeah. Right, yeah. Buy, buy lots of bandwidth so you can move your data around if you really yeah. want to. So. <laughs> well, cool. Um, well, guys, thanks for the time. Where's the, uh, there was a couple things that you mentioned in your keynotes about places you can go get started, kickstart it, uh, you know, play around with it. Where, where are the good links to go to to start playing around with functions? Yeah, so um, Azure.com functions, right? It's probably the right place uh, to go. Um, all documentation getting started is there. There is a simple try uh, Azure Functions experience that you don't even have to have an Azure account. You can just you know use your GitHub or Google account or Facebook or whatever. Um, probably our, our, our GitHubs as well, right? I mean, like, if you go to the functions.azure.com site, there's links to our GitHub and all that stuff. The other major places, we're pretty active on Twitter. So yep. if you want to just engage with us, ask questions, we're really active there. Like I, I was talking about earlier, if you ask a question on Stack Overflow, if it's a weekday, we try to a- answer it that same day. So nice. we're, we're, pretty, we're really trying to work as hard as we can to engage as often and as quickly as possible. Very cool. Listen, guys, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for the time today. And, uh, folks, we will uh, wrap it up there. We will probably do a couple more shows here from uh, Serverless Comp here in Austin. And uh, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 